Section 23 of Captain Singleton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of the Famous Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. Section 23. This perfectly confounded us, and we now concluded the Indians in the tree had, by this piece of negligence, taken the opportunity, and come all down the ladder, made their escape, and had carried away the ladder with them. I laughed most heartily at my friend William, who, as I said, had the direction of the siege, and had set up a ladder for the garrison, as we called them, to get down upon, and run away. But when daylight came, we were all set to rights again, for there stood our ladder, hauled up on the top of the tree, with about half of it in the hollow of the tree, and the other half upright in the air. Then we began to laugh at the Indians for fools, that they could not as well have found their way down by the ladder, and have made their escape, as to have pulled it up by main strength into the tree. We then resolved upon fire, and so to put an end to the work at once, and burn the tree and its inhabitants together, and accordingly we went to work to cut wood, and in a few hours' time we got enough, as we thought, together, and piling it up round the bottom of the tree, we set it on fire, waiting at a distance to see when, the gentlemen's quarters being too hot for them, they would come flying out at the top. But we were quite confounded, when, on a sudden, we found the fire all put out by a great quantity of water thrown upon it. We then thought the devil must be in them, to be sure, says William. This is certainly the cunningest piece of Indian engineering that ever was heard of, and there can be but one thing more to guess at, besides witchcraft and dealing with the devil, which I believe not one word of, says he, and that must be that this is an artificial tree, or a natural tree, artificially made hollow down into the earth, through root and all, and that these creatures have an artificial cavity underneath it, quite into the hill, or a way to go through, and under the hill, to some other place. And where that other place is, we know not. But if it be not our own fault, I'll find the place, and follow them into it, before I am two days older. He then called the carpenters, to know of them if they had any large saws that would cut through the body. And they told him they had no saws that were long enough, nor could men work into such a monstrous old stump in a great while, but that they would go to work with it with their axes, and undertake to cut it down in two days, and stock up the root of it in two more. But William was for another way, which proved much better than all this, for he was for silent work that, if possible, he might catch some of the fellows in it, 
so he sets twelve men to it with large augers to bore great holes into the side of the tree to go almost through but not quite through which holes were bored without noise and when they were done he filled them with gunpowder stopping strong plugs bolted crossways into the holes and then boring a slanting hole of a less size down into the greater hole all of which were filled with powder and at once blown up when they took fire they made such a noise and tore and split up the tree in so many places and in such a manner that we could see plainly such another blast would demolish it and so it did thus at the second time we could at two or three places put our hands in them and discovered a cheat namely that there was a cave or hole dug into the earth from or through the bottom of the hollow and that it had communication with another cave farther in where we heard the voices of several of the wild folks calling and talking to one another when we came thus far we had a great mind to get at them and william desired that three men might be given him with hand grenadoes and he promised to go down first and boldly he did so for william to give him his due had the heart of a lion they had pistols in their hands and swords by their sides but as they had taught the indians before by their stink pots the indians returned them in their own kind for they made such a smoke come up out of the entrance into the cave or hollow that william and his three men were glad to come running out of the cave and out of the tree too for mere want of breath and indeed they were almost stifled never was a fortification so well defended or assailants so many ways defeated we were now for giving it over and particularly i called william and told him i could not but laugh to see us spinning out our time here for nothing that i could not imagine what we were doing that it was certain that the rogues that were in it were cunning to the last degree and it would vex anybody to be so balked by a few naked ignorant fellows but still it was not worth our while to push it any further nor was there anything that i knew of to be got by the conquest when it was made so that i thought it high time to give it over william acknowledged what i said was just and that there was nothing but our curiosity to be gratified in this attempt and though as he said he was very desirous to have searched into the thing yet he would not insist upon it so we resolved to quit it and come away which we did however william said before he went he would have this satisfaction of them viz to burn down the tree and stop up the entrance into the cave and while doing this the gunner told him he would have one satisfaction of the rogues and this was that he would make a mine of it and see which way it had vent upon this he fetched two barrels of powder out of the ships and placed them in the inside of the hollow of the cave as far in as he durst go to carry them and then filling up the mouth of the cave where the tree stood 
and ramming it sufficiently hard, leaving only a pipe or touch-hole, he gave fire to it, and stood at a distance to see which way it would operate, when on a sudden he found the force of the powder burst its way out among some bushes on the other side the little hill I mentioned, and that it came roaring out there as out of the mouth of a cannon. Immediately running thither we saw the effects of the powder. First we saw that there was the other mouth of the cave, which the powder had so torn and opened, that the loose earth was so fallen in again that nothing of shape could be discerned. But there we saw what was become of the garrison of the Indians, too, who had given us all this trouble, for some of them had no arms, some no legs, some no head, some lay half buried in the rubbish of the mine, that is to say, in the loose earth that fell in, and, in short, there was a miserable havoc made in them all, for we had good reason to believe not one of them that were in the inside could escape, but rather were shot out of the mouth of the cave like a bullet out of a gun. We had now our full satisfaction of the Indians, but, in short, this was a losing voyage, for we had two men killed, one quite crippled and five more wounded, we spent two barrels of powder, and eleven days' time, and all to get the understanding how to make an Indian mine, or how to keep garrison in a hollow tree. And with this wit, bought at this dear price, we came away, having taken in some fresh water, but got no fresh provisions. We then considered what we should do to get back again to Madagascar, we were much about the latitude of the Cape of Good Hope, but had such a very long run, and were neither sure of meeting with fair winds, nor with any land in the way, that we knew not what to think of it. William was our last resort in this case again, and he was very plain with us. Friend, says he to Captain Wilmot, what occasion hast thou to run the venture of starving, merely for the pleasure of saying thou hast been where nobody has been before? There are a great many places nearer home, of which thou mayst say the same thing, at less expense. I see no occasion thou hast of keeping thus far south any longer, than till you are sure you are to the west end of Java and Sumatra and then thou mayst stand away north toward Ceylon, and the coast of Coromandel and Madras, where thou mayst get both fresh water and fresh provisions, and to that part it is likely we may hold out well enough with the stores we have already. This was wholesome advice, and such as was not to be slighted. So we stood away to the west, keeping between the latitude of thirty-one and thirty-five, and had very good weather and fair winds for about ten days' sail, by which time, by our reckoning, we were clear of the isles, and might run away to the north, and if we did not fall in with Ceylon, we should at least go into the great deep bay of Bengal. But we were out in our reckoning a great deal, 
for when we had stood due north for about fifteen or sixteen degrees, we met with land again on our starboard bow, about three leagues distance, so we came to an anchor about half a league from it, and manned out our boats to see what sort of a country it was. We found it a very good one, fresh water, easy to come at, but no cattle that we could see, or inhabitants, and we were very shy of searching too far after them, lest we should make such another journey as we did last, so that we let rambling alone, and chose rather to take what we could find, which was only a few wild mangoes, and some plants of several kinds, which we knew not the names of. We made no stay here, but put to sea again, northwest by north, but had little wind for a fortnight more, when we made land again, and standing in with the shore, we were surprised to find ourselves on the south shore of Java, and just as we were coming to an anchor, we saw a boat, carrying Dutch colors, sailing along shore. We were not solicitous to speak with them, or any other of their nation, but left it indifferent to our people, when they went on shore, to see the Dutchmen, or not to see them. Our business was to get provisions, which, indeed, by this time were very short with us. We resolved to go on shore with our boats in the most convenient place we could find, and to look out a proper harbour to bring the ship into, leaving it to our fate whether we should meet with friends or enemies, resolving, however, not to stay any considerable time, at least not long enough to have expresses sent across the island to Batavia, and for ships to come round from thence to attack us. We found, according to our desire, a very good harbour, where we rode in seven fathom water, well defended from the weather, whatever might happen. And here we got fresh provisions, such as good hogs and some cows, and that we might lay in a little store. We killed sixteen cows, and pickled and barreled up the flesh, as well as we could be supposed to do in the latitude of eight degrees from the line. We did all this in about five days, and filled our casks with water, and the last boat was coming off with herbs and roots, we being unmoored, and our fore topsail loose for sailing, when we spied a large ship to the northward, bearing down directly upon us. We knew not what she might be, but concluded the worst and made all possible haste to get our anchor up, and get under sail, and that we might be in readiness to see what she had to say to us, for we were under no great concern for one ship, but our notion was that we should be attacked by three or four together. By the time we had got up our anchor, and the boat was stowed, the ship was within a league of us, and as we thought, bore down to engage us. So we spread our black flag, or ancient, on the poop, and the bloody flag at the top masthead, and having made a clear ship, we stretched away to the westward, to get the wind of him. They had, it seems, quite mistaken us before, 
expecting nothing of an enemy or pirate in those seas, and not doubting but we had been one of their own ships, they seemed to be in some confusion when they found their mistake, so they immediately hauled upon a wind on the other tack, and stood edging in for the shore, towards the easternmost part of the island. Upon this we tacked, and soon after him, with all the sail we could, and in two hours, came almost within gunshot. Though they crowded all the sail they could lay on, there was no remedy but to engage us, and they soon saw their inequality of force. We fired a gun for them to bring to, so they manned out their boat, and sent to us with a flag of truce. We sent back the boat, but with this answer to the captain, that we had nothing to do but to strike and bring his ship to an anchor under our stern, and come on board us himself, when he should know our demands. But that, however, since he had not yet put us to the trouble of forcing him, which we saw we were able to do, we assured them that the captain should return again in safety, and all his men, and that supplying us with such things as we should demand, his ship should not be plundered. They went back with this message, and it was some time after they were on board, before they struck, which made us begin to think they refused it. So we fired a shot, and in a few minutes more we perceived their boat put off, and as soon as the boat put off, the ship struck and came to an anchor, as was directed. When the captain came on board, we demanded an account of their cargo, which was chiefly bales of goods from Bengal for Bantam. We told them our present want was provisions, which they had no need of, being just at the end of their voyage, and that if they would send their boat on shore with ours, and procure us six-and-twenty head of black cattle, threescore hogs, a quantity of brandy and arrack, and three hundred bushels of rice, we would let them go free. As to the rice, they gave us six hundred bushels, which they had actually on board, together with a parcel shipped upon freight, also they gave us thirty middling casts of very good arrack, but beef and pork they had none. However, they went on shore with our men, and bought eleven bullocks and fifty hogs, which were pickled up for our occasion, and upon the supplies of provision from shore we dismissed them and their ship. We lay here several days before we could furnish ourselves with the provisions agreed for, and some of the men fancied the Dutchmen were contriving our destruction. But they were very honest, and did what they could to furnish the black cattle, but found it impossible to supply so many. So they came and told us, ingenuously, that unless we could stay a while longer, they could get no more oxen or cows than those eleven with which we were obliged to be satisfied, taking the value of them in other things, rather than stay longer there. On our side we were punctual with them in observing the conditions we had agreed on. 
nor would we let any of our men so much as go on board them, or suffer any of their men to come on board us, for had any of our men gone on board, nobody could have answered for their behaviour any more than if they had been on shore in an enemy's country. We were now victualled for our voyage, and as we mattered not purchase, we went merrily on for the coast of Ceylon, where we intended to touch, to get fresh water again, and more provisions. And we had nothing material offered in this part of the voyage, only that we met with contrary winds, and were above a month in the passage. We put in upon the south coast of the island, desiring to have as little to do with the Dutch as we could, and, as the Dutch were lords of the country as to commerce, so they are more so of the sea-coast, where they have several forts, and, in particular, have all the cinnamon, which is the trade of that island. We took in fresh water here, and some provisions, but did not much trouble ourselves about laying in any stores, our beef and hogs, which we got at Java, being not yet all gone by a great deal. We had a little skirmish on shore here with some of the people of the island, some of our men having been a little too familiar with the homely ladies of the country, for homely indeed they were, to such a degree that if our men had not had good stomachs that way, they would scarce have touched any of them. I could never fully get it out of our men what they did. They were so true to one another in their wickedness. But I understood in the main that it was some barbarous thing they had done, and that they had liked to have paid dear for it, for the men resented it to the last degree, and gathered in such numbers about them that had not sixteen more of our men in another boat come all in the nick of time just to rescue our first men who were but eleven and so fetch them off by main force they had been all cut off the inhabitants being no less than two or three hundred armed with darts and lances the usual weapons of the country and which they are very dexterous at the throwing even so dexterous that it was scarce credible and had our men stood to fight them as some of them were bold enough to talk of, they had been all overwhelmed and killed. As it was, seventeen of our men were wounded, and some of them very dangerously, but they were more frighted than hurt, too, for every one of them gave themselves over for dead men, believing the lances were poisoned. But William was our comfort here, too, for when two of our surgeons were of the same opinion, and told the men foolishly enough that they would die, William cheerfully went to work with them, and cured them all but one, who rather died by drinking some arak punch than of his wound, the excess of drinking throwing him into a fever. We had enough of Ceylon, though some of our people were for going ashore again, sixty or seventy men together, to be revenged. But William persuaded them against it, and 
his reputation was so great among the men, as well as with us that were commanders, that he could influence them more than any of us. They were mighty warm upon their revenge, and they would go on shore, and destroy five hundred of them. Well, says William, and suppose you do, what are you the better? Why, then, says one of them, speaking for the rest, we shall have our satisfaction. Well, and what will you be the better for that? says William. They could then say nothing to that. Then, says William, if I mistake not, your business is money. Now, I desire to know if you conquer and kill two or three thousand of these poor creatures, they have no money. Pray, what will you get? They are poor naked wretches. What shall you gain by them? But then, says William, perhaps in doing this, you may chance to lose half a score of your own company, as it is very probable you may. Pray, what gain is in it, and what account can you give the captain for his lost men? In short, William argued so effectually, that he convinced them that it was mere murder to do so, and that the men had a right to their own, and that they had no right to take them away, that it was destroying innocent men, who had acted no otherwise than as the laws of nature dictated, and that it would be as much murder to do so, as to meet a man on the highway, and kill him, for the mere sake of it, in cold blood, not regarding whether he had done any wrong to us, or no. These reasons prevailed with them at last, and they were content to go away, and leave them as they found them. In the first skirmish they killed between sixty and seventy men, and wounded a great many more, but they had nothing, and our people got nothing by it but the loss of one man's life, and the wounding sixteen more, as above. But another accident brought us to a necessity of further business with these people, and indeed we had liked to have put an end to our lives and adventures all at once among them, for about three days after putting out to sea from the place where we had that skirmish, we were attacked by a violent storm of wind from the south, or rather a hurricane of wind from all the points southward, for it blew in a most desperate and furious manner from the south-east to the south-west, one minute at one point, and then instantly turning about again to another point, but with the same violence. Nor were we able to work the ship in that condition so that the ship I was in split three topsails, and at last brought the main topmast by the board. And, in a word, we were once or twice driven right ashore, and one time, had not the wind shifted the very moment it did, we had been dashed in a thousand pieces upon a great ledge of rocks which lay off about half a league from the shore. But, as I have said, the wind shifting very often, and at that time coming to east, southeast, we stretched off, and got above a league more sea-room in half an hour. After that it blew with some fury southwest by south, then southwest by west, 
and put us back again a great way to the eastward of the ledge of rocks, where we found a great opening before the rocks and the land, and endeavoured to come to an anchor there. But we found there was no ground fit to anchor in, and that we should lose our anchors, there being nothing but rocks. We stood through the opening, which held about four leagues. The storm continued, and now we found a dreadful foul shore, and knew not what course to take. We looked out very narrowly for some river or creek or bay, where we might run in and come to an anchor, but found none a great while. At length we saw a great headland lie out far south into the sea, and that to such a length that, in short, we saw plainly that if the wind held where it was, we could not weather it. So we ran in as much under the lee of the point as we could, and came to an anchor in about twelve fathom water. But the wind, veering again in the night, and blowing exceedingly hard, our anchors came home, and the ship drove till the rudder struck against the ground, and had the ship gone half her length farther, she had been lost, and every one of us with her. But our sheet anchor held its own, and we heaved in some of the cable, to get clear of the ground we had struck upon. It was by this only cable that we rode it out all night, and towards morning we thought the wind abated a little, and it was well for us that it was so, for, in spite of what our sheet anchor did for us, we found the ship fast aground in the morning, to our very great surprise and amazement. When the tide was out, though the water here ebbed away, the ship lay almost dry upon a bank of hard sand, which never, I suppose, had any ship upon it before. The people of the country came down in great numbers to look at us and gaze, not knowing what we were, but gaping at us as at a great sight or wonder at which they were surprised, and knew not what to do. End of section 23 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox